Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Eniash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 102, Caring June 3, 1992 Professor Quirrell was very sick. He'd seemed better for a while, after drinking his unicorn's blood in May, but the air of intense power which had surrounded him afterward hadn't lasted even a day. By the Ides of May, Professor Quirrell's hands had been trembling again, though subtly. The defense professor's medical regimen had been interrupted too early, it seemed. Six days ago, Professor Quirrell had collapsed at dinner time. Madame Pomfrey had tried to forbid Professor Quirrell from teaching classes, and Professor Quirrell had shouted at her in front of everyone. The defense professor had shouted that he was dying regardless, and would use his remaining time as he chose. So Madame Pomfrey, blinking hard, had forbidden the defense professor from doing anything except teaching his classes. She'd asked for a volunteer to help take Professor Quirrell to a room in the Hogwarts infirmary. More than a hundred students had risen to their feet, only half wearing green. The defense professor no longer sat at the head table during mealtimes. He didn't cast spells during lessons. The oldest students who had the most quarrel points helped him to teach, the seventh years who had already sat their defense newts in May. They took turns floating him from his room in the infirmary to his classes and brought him food at mealtimes. Professor Quirrell proctored his battle magic classes from a chair, sitting. Watching Hermione die had hurt more than this, but that had ended much more quickly. This is the true enemy. Harry had already thought that after Hermione had died. Being forced to watch Professor Quirrell die, day by day, week by week, had not done much to change his mind. This is the true enemy. This is the true enemy I have to face, Harry thought in Wednesday's defense class, watching Professor Quirrell leaning far to one side of his chair before that day's seventh-year assistant caught him. Everything else is just shadows and distraction. Harry had been turning over Trelawney's prophecy in his mind, wondering if maybe the true Dark Lord had nothing to do with Lord Voldemort at all. Born to those who have thrice defied him, seemed to strongly invoke the Peveril brothers and the three Deathly Hallows. Though Harry didn't exactly see how death could have marked him as an equal, which seemed to imply some sort of deliberate action on death's part. This alone is the true enemy. After this will come Professor McGonagall, Mum and Dad, even Neville in his time. Unless the wound in the world can be healed before then. Death alone is my last enemy. So it was told to me upon my parents' grave. There was nothing Harry could do. Madame Pomfrey was already doing for Professor Quirrell what magic could do, and magic seemed strictly superior to muggle techniques when it came to healing. There was nothing Harry could do. Nothing he could do. Nothing. Nothing at all.
Harry raised his hand and knocked upon the door, in case the person there could no longer detect him. What is it? came a strained voice from the infirmary room. It's me. There was a long pause. Come in. Harry slipped inside and closed the door behind him and cast the quieting charm. He stood as far away from Professor Quirrell as he could, just in case his own magic was making the professor feel uncomfortable, though the sense of doom was fading, fading with each passing day. Professor Quirrell was lying back in his infirmary bed, only his head propped up by a pillow. A coverlet of cottony material, red with black stitching, covered him to his chest. A book hovered before his eyes, outlined in a pale glow, which also surrounded a black cube lying by his bed. Not the defense professor's own magic then, but a device of some kind. The book was Thinking Physics by Epstein, the same book Harry had lent to Draco a few months back. Harry had stopped fretting about its possible misuse several weeks earlier. This... This is a fascinating book. If I'd ever realized... A laugh mixed with another cough. Why did I assume the Muggle arts must not be mine? That they would be of no use to me? Why did I never bother trying to test it experimentally, as you would say? In case... My assumption was wrong. It seems sheerly foolish of me, in retrospect. Harry was having more trouble speaking than Professor Quirrell was. Wordlessly, Harry reached into his pocket and laid a kerchief on the floor, which he unfolded to reveal a small white pebble, smooth and round. What's that? It's a... It's a transfigured unicorn. Harry had checked the books, had learned that since he was too young to have sexual thoughts, he would be able to approach a unicorn without fear. The same books had said nothing about unicorns being smart. Harry had already noticed that every intelligent magical species was at least partially humanoid, from merfolk to centaurs to giants from elves to goblins to Vila. All had essentially human-like emotions. Many were known to interbreed with humans. Harry had already reasoned out that magic didn't create new intelligence, but just changed the shape of genetically human beings. Unicorns were equinoid, not even partially humanoid-shaped. Didn't talk, used no tools. They were almost certainly just magical horses. If it was right to eat a cow to feed yourself for a day, then it had to be right to drink a unicorn's blood in order to stave off death for weeks. You couldn't have it both ways. So Harry had gone into the forbidden forest wearing his cloak. He had searched the grove of unicorns until he saw her, a proud creature with a pure white coat and violet hair with three blue blotches on her flank. Harry had gone over, and the sapphire eyes had stared at him inquisitively. Harry had tapped out the sequence, one, two, three, on the ground several times with his shoe. 
the unicorn had shown no sign of responding in kind. Harry had reached over, taken her hoof in his hand, and tapped the same sequence with the unicorn's hoof. The unicorn had only looked at him curiously. And something about feeding the unicorn the sleeping potion-laced sugar cubes had still felt like murder. That magic gives their existence a weight of meaning which no simple animal could possess. To slay something innocent to save oneself, that is a terrible deed. Those two phrases, from Professor McGonagall, from the centaur, had both run through Harry's mind over and over as the white unicorn had yawned, laid down on the ground, and closed its eyes for what would be the last time. The transfiguration had lasted an hour, and Harry's eyes had watered repeatedly as he worked. The unicorn's death might not have come then, but it would come soon enough, and it was foreign to Harry's nature to try to refuse responsibility of any kind. Harry would just have to hope that, if you didn't kill the unicorn to save yourself, if you did it to help a friend, it would be acceptable in the end. Professor Quirrell's eyebrows had lifted toward his hairline. His voice was less soft, had something of his normal sharpness, as he said, I forbid you from doing that again. I wondered if you'd say that. Harry swallowed again. But this unicorn is already... already doomed, so you might as well take it, Professor. Why have you done this? If the defense professor really didn't understand that, he was slower on the uptake than anyone Harry had ever met. I kept thinking there was nothing I could do. I got tired of thinking it. Professor Quirrell closed his eyes. His head leaned back into the pillow. You were lucky that a unicorn in transfigured form did not set off the Hogwarts wards as a strange creature. I shall have to take this outside the grounds to make use of it. But that can be managed. I shall tell them that I wish to look upon the lake. I will ask you to sustain the transfiguration before you go, and it should last long enough after that. And with my last strength, dispel whatever death alarms were placed to watch over the herd. Which, the unicorn being not dead yet, only transfigured, will not yet have triggered. You were very lucky, Mr. Potter. Harry nodded. He tried to speak, then stopped again. Words seemed to stick in his throat once more. You already calculated the expected utilities, if it works, if it goes wrong. You assigned probabilities, you multiplied, and then you threw out the answer and went with your new gut feeling, which was the same. So say it. Do you know of any way at all by which your life might be saved? The defense professor's eyes opened. Why do you ask me that, boy? There's a spell I heard of, a ritual. Be silent. 
An instant later, a snake lay in the bed. Even the snake's eyes were dull. It did not rise. Speak on, hissed the snake, its flickering tongue its only motion. There is... There is a ritual I heard of from the schoolmaster, by which he thinks the Dark Lord might have lived on. It is called... And Harry stopped as he realized that he did know how to say the word in parcel tongue. Horcrux. It requires a death, I have heard. But if you are dying in any case, you might try to adapt the ritual, even at great risk for the new spell, so that it can be done with a different sacrifice. It would change the whole world if you succeed. Though I don't know anything about the spell. The schoolmaster thought it tore off a piece of a soul, though I don't see how that could be true. The snake was hissing laughter. Strange, sharp laughter, almost hysterical. You tell me of that spell? Me? You must learn more caution in the future, boy. But it matters not. I learned of the Horcrux spell since long ago. It is meaningless. Meaningless, Harry said aloud in surprise. Would be pointless spell from beginning if souls existed. Tear piece of soul? That is lie. Misdirection to hide true secret. Only one who does not believe in common lies will reason further, see beneath obscuration, realize how to cast spell. Required murder is not sacrificial ritual at all. Sudden death sometimes makes ghosts. If magic bursts and imprints on nearby thing, Horcrux spell channels death burst through caster, creates your own ghost instead of victims, imprints ghost in special device. Second victim picks up Horcrux device. Device imprints your memories into them, but only memories from time Horcrux device was made. You see, Flaw? The burning sensation was back in Harry's throat. No continuity of... There wasn't a snake word for consciousness. Self. You would go on thinking after making the Horcrux. Then self with new memories dies and is not restored. Yes, you do see. Also, Merlin's interdict prevents powerful spells from passing through such a device, since it is not truly alive. Dark wizards who think to return thus are weaker, easily dispatched, None have persisted long by such means. 
Personalities change, mix with victims. Death is not truly gainsaid. Real self is lost, as you say. Not to my present taste. Admit I considered it long ago. A man was lying in the infirmary bed once more. The defense professor breathed, then made a retching coughing sound. <coughs> Can you give me a full recipe for the spell? Harry said after a moment's deliberation. There might be some way to improve on the flaws with enough research. Some way to do it ethically and have it work. Like doing the transfer into a clone body with a blank brain instead of an innocent victim, which might also improve the fidelity of the personality transfer, though that still left the other problems. Professor Quirrell made a short sound under his breath that might have been laughter. <laughs> you know, boy, I had thought to teach you everything. The seeds of all the secrets I knew, from one living mind to another, so that later, when you found the right books, you would be able to understand. I would have passed on my knowledge to you, my heir. We would have begun as soon as you asked me. But you never asked. Even the grief surrounding Harry like thick water gave way to that, to the sheer magnitude of the missed opportunity. I was supposed to... I didn't know I was supposed to... Another coughing chuckle. Ah, <coughs> oh, yes. The unknowing Muggleborn. In heritage, if not in blood, that is you. But I thought better of it, that you should not walk my path. It was not a good path in the end. It's not too late, Professor! A part of Harry yelled that he was being selfish, and then another part shouted that down. There would be other people to help. Yes, it is too late. And you shall not persuade me otherwise. I have thought better of it, as I said. I... Am too full of secrets better left unknown. Look at me! Harry looked, almost despite himself. He saw a still unwrinkled face, looking old and pained, beneath a head rapidly losing its hair, even the sides looking wispy now. Harry saw a face he'd always thought was sharp now revealed as thin, muscle and fat fading away from the face, as from the arms beneath it, like the skeletal form of Bellatrix Black he'd seen in Azkaban. Harry's head wrenched aside unthinkingly.
You see, I dislike to sound cliched, Mr. Potter, but the truth is, the arts called dark really are not good for a person in the end. <sighs> Professor Quirrell breathed in, breathed out. There was quiet for a time in the infirmary, the two of them watched only by the elaborately ornamented stone of the walls. Is there... is there anything left unsaid between us? I am not dying today, mind you. Not right now, but I do not know how long I shall be able to converse. There's... Harry swallowed again. There's a lot of things, way too many things, but... It might be the wrong thing to ask, but I don't want this one question unanswered. Snake? A snake lay on the bed. I learned how the killing curse works. Requires true hate to cast. Not much hate, but must want target dead, they say. In prison with life eaters, you cast killing curse at guard. Said you did not want him dead. Was that lie? Here, now, at this distance, you may speak truth. Even if you fear it reflects poorly on you, it should not matter now, teacher. I wish to know, must know, will not abandon you either way. A man lay on the bed. Listen carefully. I will tell you a conundrum, a riddle of a dangerous spell. When you know the answer to that puzzle, you will also know the answer to your question. Are you listening? Harry nodded. There is a limitation to the killing curse. To cast it once in a fight, you must hate enough to want the other dead. To cast Avada Kedavra twice, you must hate enough to kill twice. To cut their throat with your own hands, to watch them die. Then do it again. Very few can hate enough. To kill someone five times, they would get bored. The defense professor breathed several times before continuing. But if you look at history, you will find some dark wizards who could cast the killing curse. Over and over. A 
13th century witch who called herself Dark Evangel. The Aurors called her A.K. McDowell. She could cast the killing curse a dozen times in one fight. Ask yourself, as I asked myself, what is the secret that she knew? What is deadlier than hate and flows without limit? A second level to the Avada Kedavra spell, just like with the Patronus charm. I don't really care, Harry answered. The defense professor chuckled wetly. Good. You are learning. So, you see. A pause of transformation. I did not wish Guard dead, after all. Cast killing curse, but not with hate. And then a man. Harry swallowed hard. It was both better and worse than what Harry had suspected. And characteristic enough of Professor Quirrell, a cracked soul for certain, but Professor Quirrell had never claimed to be whole. Anything else to say? Are you absolutely sure that there is nothing you've ever heard of that might save you, Professor, in all your lore? Finding and uniting all three Deathly Hallows, an ancient artifact that Merlin sealed behind a riddle no one's ever figured out. You've seen some of what I can do, that I'm good at solving riddles. You know I can figure things out sometimes that other wizards can't. I... I have a strong preference for your life over your death, Professor Quirrell. There was a long pause. One thing. One thing that might do it. Or might not. But to obtain it is beyond your power. Or mine. Oh, it was just the setup for a subquest, said Harry's inner critic. All the other parts screamed for that part to shut up. Life didn't work like that. Ancient artifacts could be found, but not in a month. Not when you couldn't leave Hogwarts and were still in your first year. Professor Quirrell took in a deep breath. Exhaled. I'm sorry. That came out too dramatic. Do not get your hopes up, Mr. Potter. You asked for anything, no matter how unlikely. There is a certain object called... A snake lay on the bed. The Philosopher's Stone. If there'd been a mass manufacturable means of safe immortality this entire time and nobody had bothered... Harry was going to snap and kill everyone. I read of it in a book, Harry hissed. Concluded it was obvious myth, 
no reason why same device would provide immortality and endless gold. Not unless someone was just inventing happy stories. Not to mention, every sane person should have been researching ways to make more stones, or kidnapping maker to produce. Thought of you specifically, teacher. A hissing of cold laughter. Reasoning is wise, but not wise enough. Like with Horcrux spell, absurdity hides true secret. True stone is not what that legend says. True power is not what stories claim. Stone's supposed maker was not one who made it. One who holds it now was not born to name now used. Yet stone is a powerful healing device in truth. Have you heard it spoken of? Just in the book. One who holds stone is repository of much lore. Taught schoolmaster many secrets. Schoolmaster has said nothing of stone's holder. Nothing of stone. No hints. Not that I can easily recall. Harry replied honestly. Ah. Ah well. Could ask schoolmaster. No. Do not ask him, boy. He would not take question well. But if the stone only heals, schoolmaster does not believe that. Would not believe that. Too many have sought stone or sought holder's lore. Do not ask. Must not ask. Do not try to obtain stone yourself. I forbid. A man lay on the bed once more. I am at my limit. I must regain my strength before I go to the forest with your gift. Leave now, but sustain the transfiguration. Before you go. Harry reached out, touched the white pebble lying within the kerchief, renewing the transfiguration on it. It should last for one hour and fifty-three minutes after this. Your studies do well. It was far longer than Harry's transfigurations had lasted at the start of the school year. Second-year spells came easily now, without strain which wasn't surprising, since he would be twelve in less than two months. Harry could even have cast a memory charm, if it had been good for someone to forget every memory involving their left arm. He was climbing the power ladder, slowly, from very far down. The thought came with a potential for sadness, a thought of one door opening as another closed, which Harry also rejected.
The door to the infirmary closed behind Harry as the boy who lived walked swiftly and with purpose, shrugging on his invisibility cloak as he moved. Soon, presumably, Professor Quirrell would call for assistance, and an older student trio would guide the defense professor into some quiet place, maybe the forest, with an excuse of viewing the lake or some such. Some place the defense professor could eat a unicorn undetected after Harry's transfiguration wore off. And then Professor Quirrell would be healthier, for a time. His power would return to him as strong as he'd ever been for a much shorter time. It wouldn't last. Harry's fists clenched as he strode, the tension radiating up his arm muscles. If the defense professor's treatment regimen hadn't been interrupted by Harry and the horrors that he had brought to Hogwarts... It was stupid to blame himself. Harry knew it was stupid, and somehow his brain was doing it anyway. Like his brain was searching, carefully finding and selecting some way for this to be his fault, no matter how far it had to stretch. As if having things be his fault were the only way his brain knew how to grieve. A trio of seventh-year Slytherins passed Harry's invisible form in the hallway, heading for the healer's offices where the professor waited, looking deeply serious and concerned. Was that how other people grieved? Or did they, on some level, not really care, as Professor Quirrell thought? There is a second level to the killing curse. Harry's brain had solved the riddle instantly in the moment of first hearing it as though the knowledge had always been inside him, waiting to make itself known. Harry had read once, somewhere, that the opposite of happiness wasn't sadness, but boredom. And the author had gone on to say that to find happiness in life, you asked yourself not what would make you happy, but what would excite you. And by the same reasoning, hatred wasn't the true opposite of love. Even hatred was a kind of respect that you could give to someone's existence. If you cared about someone enough to prefer their dying to their living, it meant you were thinking about them. It had come up much earlier, before the trial, in conversation with Hermione, when she'd said something about Magical Britain being prejudiced, with considerable and recent justification. And Harry had thought, but not said, that at least she'd been let into Hogwarts to be spat upon. Not like certain people living in certain countries, who were, it was said, as human as anyone else. Who were said to be sapient beings, worth more than any mere unicorn, but who nonetheless wouldn't be allowed to live in Muggle Britain. On that score, at least, no Muggle had the right to look a wizard in the eye. Magical Britain might discriminate against Muggleborns, but at least it allowed them inside so they could be spat upon in person. What is deadlier than hate and flows without limit? Indifference, Harry whispered aloud, the secret of a spell he would never be able to cast, and kept striding toward the library to read anything he could find, anything at all about the Philosopher's Stone. End chapter 102. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links 
along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for an interview with the author, bloopers, and details as to how your voice can become part of the Methods of Rationality podcast. (laughs) 